2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to read from verse 14 down through verse number 18. The Bible says there, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel or an unbeliever? And what, uh, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple, speaking to Christians here, ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord. Notice that phrase, be ye separate, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We see here a reference to a home, God being our father and us being his sons and daughters. And what is the marker of those that are part of the family of God? And the Bible says in verse 17 that they're separate. They're separate. Last week, uh, we looked at a, a spiritual home. This week, as we discuss the construction of a Christian home, we're going to look at this concept of a separated home. A separated home. And that is an odd word. That's an odd phrase, odd-sounding phrase. Uh, but, boy, it sure is an important one. If you're going to have a Christian home then you need to do some things that are distinctly different. Many, many homes today claim to be Christian, and the only thing that's Christian about it is the title that they give themselves and the occasional, atten occasional attendance of a church service. Uh, some people attend more than others, but if you were to set those things to the side and you were to look at the way that the home operates and you were to look at the way a secular home operates, they're just not very different. And we're called to be different. We're called to be a peculiar people. We're called to have a separated lifestyle. Let's talk today in particular, let's look at today in particular how this separated lifestyle looks like within the confines of a marriage and within the confines of, of being a, a child to a parent and a parent to a child, the child-parent relationship. Let's pray. Lord, help us today as we understand these truths. Lord, help us to grow uh, in our knowledge to you, m many of the families attending our church have um, only been saved a short time and are still finding their spiritual footing. Lord, my prayer is that a sermon like this would help them to see the importance of, of breaking some bad habits, of walking away from some sin uh, that they have allowed to just become a normal part of their home. And Lord, may they see the importance of living a separated lifestyle. Then, Lord, there's others who have been attempting this for a while, but Lord, sometimes we slip back into some habits that are unhealthy and we allow sin to creep into a marriage or creep into uh, the parent-child relationship and just the culture of the home. Help us, Lord, to identify where that's happened and uh, Lord, to get back to uh, why we're separate and how we're separate and doing these things. Lord Jesus, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we seek to construct a Christian home, we are reminded that we must establish the foundation of salvation and the framework of holiness. I won't go back and re-preach last week's message, but we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we talked about that the foundation of any Christian is the Lord Jesus Christ. And 
You want to do things within your home and the culture of your home to encourage your children to make their own free will choice to get saved at a very early age. Uh, Then we looked at uh, once the foundation of your Christian home has been settled and that Jesus Christ is the center of your home, uh, the foundation of your home, we want to build the framework of holiness. And we took a long time to talk about how that many families, many marriages, many parents are seeking to inject happiness. And they make happiness as the end goal. And that is a grave mistake. In fact, that's a secular way of raising a home is I get married based on what makes me happy. I raise my children based on what makes them happy and what makes me happy. And happiness becomes the end goal. God has not called us to happiness, Christian. He has called us to holiness. Holiness. What does it mean to be holy? What does that word holiness mean? Well, one person defined it this way. Holiness means set apart for a sacred cause. Set apart for a sacred cause. And so if we're set apart, that means we look different, we talk different, we act different. Uh, We have different ambitions and different goals and different desires uh, than those who are unholy or those who don't care about doing right. We're not just set apart for the sake of being set apart. We're set apart for the purpose of pleasing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, James tells us in chapter 1 of his epistle that the Bible is a mirror that shows us how holy we really are. And if you want to know how holy you are, if you want to know exactly where you are, then you'll go look in the spiritual mirror. You'll go look in the spiritual mirror. If you don't want to know how holy you are, then you will avoid looking In the spiritual mirror. Now, Thursdays is my day that I don't go into the office. And so on a Thursday, I take, it would be similar to many people, Saturdays, I'll take the time and loaf around the house in the morning and I get up and I eat a king size bowl of cereal. Amen. And I, um, uh, I don't brush my hair and I walk around in, uh, in, in lounge type clothes. And usually about 10 or 11 o'clock, I'll uh, wander out the door and I'll, head out to the store and I'll do some uh, shopping. I love to just walk around Home Depot or Lowe's just for the sake of doing it and looking at the tools and um, I guess you can call that my covetous time. And I look at tools I don't need and uh, sometimes I uh, will maybe even purchase one just for the sake of it and I uh, wander around and then I make my way back home and I'll do some odds and ends around the house to help my wife with what she needs done and I'll uh, spend some time with the kids in the afternoon. I'll go out in the yard, throw the baseball around, or uh, I'll uh, uh, sit down and play a, game, a board game, a boring game with my children. And uh, I do. I, I try to just make Thursdays uh, a day where I can uh, just relax. And one of the things I try not to do on Thursdays is very often look in a mirror, look in a mirror. In fact, before I go out to the store, I just throw a baseball cap on and I go to the store with uh, the five hairs of my head, a disaster below that. But because I'm wearing a hat, nobody knows. And I might even have uh, uh, something in my eye from uh, sleeping that night. And oftentimes I won't shave and I don't uh, as often care for my physical appearance on a Thursday. And unfortunately for many Christians, they walk around and they think they look great spiritually, but they don't. And the reason why they don't is because they don't on a regular basis look into the mirror of God's word and get an idea of just how unholy 
They are. They look spiritually every day or on a regular basis like I look uh, physically on Thursdays. And they have a home where uh, it's become the norm uh, for things not to look well. I was in Walmart a couple of weeks ago and I um, uh, walked up behind a couple of people in front of me and the stench of marijuana could be smelled from about 20 feet away. I don't, I, I'm not lying. The stench was strong. It was a mixture of marijuana and body odor. It was horrific. And I thought to myself, and it was a couple walking together, I thought uh, it's either both of them or it's one of them. And if it's just one of them, the other person has become so familiar with the smell, it doesn't even bother them anymore. And many Christians walk around and they're unhygienic in their spiritual behavior and their taste. Uh, They look like the world, they smell like the world, they talk like the world, they're saved, and they can't even tell how unhygienic spiritually they are because they've just grown used to it. Uh, I'm talking about we are to develop a culture in our home of holiness, where holiness is the expectation. And when I fall into sin as a dad, or when my wife falls into sin as a mom, or when I fail as a husband spiritually, or when my wife fails as a wife spiritually, or when my children have a bad day and they're disobedient or have a bad attitude, that we look down upon that within the confines of our home. Uh, when a song is played on the radio, or when a clothing style that is uh, popular amongst uh, uh, a secular singer becomes popularized, those things are not Um, uh, expected to be the norm in our home. In fact, they're pushed out because they are not holy. Why? Because as Christians, we're called to be separate. Now, there there is a parenting style out there that takes the approach of, I'll let my children find their own path to God, or I'll let my children figure out what version of religion that they want to choose, or I'll let the, the church tell them how to live, but don't expect me to live what the church is teaching. And I would just say these approaches, spiritually speaking, these approaches are all guaranteed to fail. They're guaranteed to fail. Well, I want my children to find their own path to God. Do you understand that your child is born with a sin nature and a flesh that's bent away from God? And if you don't help bring your children to, uh, to holiness, if you don't establish a culture of holiness and flesh denial within your home, your children are not naturally on their own going to find their way to God. I would tell you this morning that children are impressionable. Children are impressionable. They seek to follow a dad and mom that are genuine in their faith and genuine in their own personal journey to holiness. Your children are not expecting you to be perfect. Your children are not expecting you to have it all figured out. Your children are not expecting you to arrive there tomorrow. But your children are looking for you to lead the way. It's one thing for you to tell them that they need to love God and have a relationship with God. It's another thing altogether to show them how to have that journey, to show them what it looks like to struggle to become more like the Lord. And I would point to you, when it comes to this idea of a separated home, I would point to you the trajectory of two contemporaries who lived and and shared even the same family space for a little while, but took their families two different directions. I would point out the families of Abraham and the families of family of Lot. Abraham was married to Sarah and Lot had Mrs. Lot. We don't know her name and 
there came a place where Lot was the nephew of Abraham, and they both became very wealthy, and the, the keeper of their cattle began to battle with each other, and Abraham looked at Lot and said, it's, we're brothers, uh, there's strife between us, it's better that we have not strife, and the only way that we're going to be able to maintain peace is by parting and going our separate ways. And so, Lot, you pick, I'm going to be deferential to you, you pick where you want to go, and me and Sarah will go the opposite direction, and we'll just have to love each other for a distance. And so Lot lifted up his eyes and looked at the well-watered plains in the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he chose the better for himself and left uh, the worse for his uncle Abraham. And uh, the Bible tells us in Genesis that Abraham pitched his tent toward Sodom pitched his tent towards Sodom. That means that the opening to his tent, they'd wake up every morning and they'd come out the opening of their tent and across the field there would be the city of Sodom. And he and his daughters woke up every morning, his wife woke up every morning and they saw that. And then it went from viewing it to visiting. And it went from visiting uh, to living. And they, the Bible says they sojourned or they were passing through the city and their heart became so in love with the culture of Sodom. Uh, the kids no doubt made friends with the children that lived in Sodom. And what happened was that they moved into Sodom. And uh, 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 Lot never forsook his faith, but he became a leader within the city, a, a, a judge of righteousness, a judge of morality in the law. He sat at the gate and he was one of the leaders there that judged amongst the people. And his two of his daughters married men in the city. And the Bible, we know about Sodom. We, and Sodom has a, a reputation about it. And to this day, you stop someone on the street who isn't churched and you ask them to tell you what a sodomite is. And they know what a sodomite is. And a sodomite is, uh, 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 comes from the idea of a man who marries a man or a woman who marries a woman. And the, uh, a lot moved his Christian family into this secular environment, and what happened? Well, we know what happened. What happened was that his family fell in love with the culture, and the culture began to overtake his family. It got so bad that angels had to go in and drag Lot and his wife and two of his youngest daughters out. The two married daughters refused to leave with their husbands, and they were destroyed in God's wrath of the city. Mrs. Lot had such an affection for the city, she was told not to look back. And she looked back over her shoulder, and God instantaneously turned her into a, a rock, a salt rock. And right there on the spot, she became a rock. And uh, Lot would move into a cave because, because he became uh, so um, uh, fearful that uh, someone was chasing him or following him. He would move into a cave, and his two daughters would get him drunk, and they would become impregnated by their own father through the sin of incest. What a disaster. What a disaster. Why? Because Lot chose not to separate from the culture. Lot chose to be a Christian that embraced the culture. Boy, we can't contrast that with Abraham. Abraham who lived in Ur of the Chaldees. God called Abraham out of the world. You with me this morning? He came to him and he said, pack, his th pack your things and leave the world. I'm going to take you on a journey where I'm going to have you be connected to me. And once Lot left, he was alone. He had no friends, if you will. He had no companionship, even his family. His father passed away just a few verses earlier. And here he is all by himself with just his wife 
no children at the time, but because Abraham decided to be set apart, because Abraham decided to live a lifestyle that was holy. Listen, we've gone through Abraham's life and Sarah's life on a Wednesday evening about a month ago, a month and a half ago. Abraham wasn't perfect. Abraham made lots of mistakes along the way, but Abraham set out to have a relationship with the Lord. Abraham set out to live a lifestyle that was holy and separated from the world. And what happened? Well, Abraham would give Abraham and Sarah would give birth to Isaac, who would become a godly man, who would give birth to Jacob, who would become a godly man and have his name changed to Israel. And here we are, 4,000 years later from Abraham, and we still use the word Israel on a regular basis. There is a country, a, a, a people that God chose to love on. Why? Because Abraham chose to live a separated lifestyle. Now, uh, in today's world, we have families that are a lot more like Lot than Abraham. I'm talking about saved families. I'm talking about folks who uh, come to church here at White Oak Baptist Church. There's no question in my mind that they're just as righteous as Lot was. In fact, in the New Testament, the Bible labels Lot as righteous Lot. Righteous Lot. And there are those of you here, and that, that, that is an indication of his salvation. There are those of you here that are members of our church, you regularly attend our church, and you are just as saved as Lot is, but you are just as invested in the world as Lot was. And my friend, if you're not careful, your lifestyle, the the, the life that you're planning for your children will be just as toxic as it was for Lot's family. The encouragement this morning is this. Choose to follow Abraham's path. And set your, set your family apart from the world and be there, become one with the Lord. Follow the culture Scripture lays out for your family and don't follow the culture that the world lays out for your family. Be Abraham, don't be Lot. I propose that if you want to construct a Christian home, a Christian family, then you must separate from non-Christian ideals, non-Christian philosophies, non-Christian entertainment, and non-Christian influences. A Christian home is one that is built on fellowship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's jump in this morning and look at three thoughts as we consider how to construct a Christian home, uh, as we look closely at this topic of a separated home, a separated home. Point number one this morning is this, the call to separation, the call to separation. Make no doubt about it, Christian. If you are saved, if you are a child of God, God has called you to separate from, to divide from, to leave from the world. Uh, I used to play a prank, or I've played a, a prank on many a people where I'll pour salt and pepper on a table, and I'll mix the salt and pepper together, and then I'll put a pile in front of them, and I'll put a pile in front of me, and in the middle of the table, I'll put the salt and pepper shakers together, and I'll say, um, we're going to have a contest to see who can separate the salt from the pepper, and the first one to finish wins. And uh, you can understand how difficult and complicated that appears to be. And I'll say, on your mark, get set, go. And I'll sit there and watch them for a few moments, try to separate the salt from the pepper. And then I'll reach up and take the salt shaker and I'll move it away from the pepper shaker and I will be the winner. And um, uh, it's a funny little thing you can do. Imagine with me, if you will, separating out the salt from the pepper. God wants you to separate your lifestyle from the lifestyle of the world. It's, it's something we're commanded in Scripture to do. Let me let the Bible 
lay out the case for me. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, 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 acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The Bible says here, this isn't anything we're asking you to do that's unreasonable. It's reasonable for you to separate from the world. It's reasonable for you to be holy. It's reasonable for you uh, to uh, live a lifestyle that's acceptable to God. Look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. Don't be like the culture around you, but rather be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's laid out for us this way, as though we're taking off an old garment and we're putting on a new garment. Look at chapter 4, verse 17 This I, of Ephesians 4. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, or as the secular sinful culture around you walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past uh, feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ." If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, and the truth is in Jesus, look here, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. That's the taking off of a worldly garment, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true Holiness. The Bible is saying here that there is, there are goals, there are ambitions, there are philosophies that fit into a secular worldview. There are ideals, there are sinful habits that belong to those that are lost. And those of you that are saved, uh, boy, you are believers. You're not unbelievers and you are to put off that which is old and you are to put on the mind of Christ. You are to put on the behavior of a Christian. You are to separate from, separate from the way you lived prior to being saved and you are to be uh, like unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. This isn't just for you personally, Dad. This is a culture that you are to establish within your marriage. This is a culture, Mom and Dad. Together you are to work to establish with your children at home. First Peter chapter 1, uh, uh, Peter just uh, uh, lays it out very plain for us in verse 15 and 16. He says this, But as he which hath uh, called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or of lifestyle. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God says, I saved you and I have called you to be holy. All manner of conversation. All manner of conversation. This call begins in the Old Testament with Abraham. The call to be holy begins with Abraham in the Old Testament. And you can go through out the Old Testament and into the New Testament and find that God is still calling us to set apart from the world, to be separate from the world and be like the Lord today. The call 
to separation. Number two, notice the complications of separation. The complications of separation. Now, I'm just going to be very honest this morning. If you were to take a a, a magnifying glass and you were to run it over every thought that I think and you were to run it over every action that I take and you were to run it over every uh, uh, behavior within my marriage and behavior uh, within uh, uh, the parenting of my wife and I, boy, you would find that uh, I still haven't got this thing of separation all figured out. And I am your pastor. I don't have it all figured out. For me to stand up here this morning and pretend that somehow uh, I am living as peculiar and separate from the world as the Lord would have me uh, be, if I were to stand up here and pretend that that was so, I would be lying to you and I would be a Pharisee and a hypocrite. This is a journey that I am trying to work through. Why is it so hard? Look, it's easy for me to stand up here and read passage after passage after passage out of the Bible where we are told to look different than the world, uh, uh, talk different than the world, act different than the world, and altogether be different from the world. It's one thing for me to get up here and read those Scriptures. It's one thing for me to stand up here and uh, yell and holler and spit and scream and sling snot and, and pound the pulpit and tell you that you're to do that and that I'm to do that. Oh boy, it's a whole other ball game to actually go out and do it. Why is it so easy to explain and so hard to live? It's complicated. It's complicated. Why is it complicated? It's, it's, it's complicated for... Let me give you three reasons this morning. Letter A. It's complicated because we stick to what's familiar. We stick to what's familiar. As a pastor... I have worked with uh, many drug addicts. I have some wild and crazy stories <laughs> about working with drug addicts. Um, I had one incident, I won't go into the details, but I had one incident that if a camera crew had followed me around and recorded everything that happened, it could have been a secular hit comedy. It was wild, everything that happened uh, that Sunday morning. Um, One thing I have found about addicts is that many of them, especially that have attached themselves to this church or have been a part of this church, many of them, I believe, are genuinely saved. I, I, I believe their salvation is just as genuine as mine is. But they struggle with walking away from both the drugs that they're addicted to and they struggle with walking away from the lifestyle connected to life as a druggie. Why? Why is it so hard for a drug addict to quit his drugs? Why is it so hard for a drug addict to walk away from that lifestyle? Is it just because the drugs have addictive nature to them? And the answer to that is no. No. Now that is part of the reason. But can I tell you that for many drug addicts that have lived a lifestyle of drug addiction... They have a hard time walking away from drugs because that's all they know. That's all they know. And I can explain to them in theory how much better their life would be without the drugs in their life, how much better their life would be if they lived a cleaned-up lifestyle, 
And I could even get them in principle to agree with me that I'm right. But when push comes to shove, and it's time to walk away from a drug lifestyle, they're afraid to do it because that's all they know. You see, we find security in that with which we're familiar. Even if that with which we're familiar is unhealthy and dangerous and hurtful. When I was a, a little boy, we lived in the, the city of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And my father was a Christian school administrator there. The school uh, ran anywhere between 250 and 300 uh, students from kindergarten to 12th grade. And we had a family uh, there in the, in the school that had four children, four boys, uh, and uh, the middle child, his name was Joey. Joey was about my age. And Joey and I were good friends, but their home was very, very dysfunctional. Joey's mother's name was Sandra, and Miss Sandra cleaned the, she, she did the janitorial work for the school building. It was a very large building, and Miss Sandra did the uh, school, uh, the, the cleaning there. And I remember, uh, I really liked Miss Sandra. She was probably about the age of my mother, and uh, she just had a, a sweet demeanor about her. She was very loving and caring and kind, and um, my dad would never let me go over to their house, and I'll explain why in a minute, but Joey and his little brother Kevin would come over to my house uh, quite often, and, and, and Joey and Kevin, they, they had a, a carnal side to them. They, uh, they knew words that they would use. I didn't even know what they meant and were, and sometimes I would repeat them, and I'd get in trouble with my parents, and uh, they would talk about things that were uh, worldly and, and, and secular in nature, and and I'd repeat them in front of my parents and find out that I was not allowed uh, to talk that way. But Miss Sandra was just a sweet woman. She was faithful to church, and she loved the Lord. But Miss Sandra was an abused woman. Uh, I never met Miss Sandra's husband. I never met Joey and Kevin. Um, uh, uh, I never met their, their father. But their father was a drunk, and he beat his wife. And sometimes Miss Sandra would come in with bruises on her arm or bruises on her face. And um, uh, I remember uh, my dad telling me once about Miss Sandra that uh, Miss Sandra had grown up in the home of an abusive alcoholic father. And I remember thinking to myself, and even asking my father, if she knew the horror of living in an abusive alcoholic's home as a child, why would she marry an abusive alcoholic husband? Why would she do that? I don't remember the answer that my father gave me. My father's a smart man. I'm sure he probably gave me an answer in line with what I'm about to say. But all these years later, I have come to realize that Miss Sandra married who she married because Miss Sandra married what she was familiar with. Many folks get saved and they have a hard time leaving their music behind. They have a hard time leaving their dress uh, sinful dress styles behind. They have a hard time uh, leaving their sinful friends behind. And part of the reason is because they want to stick with what's familiar. You need to remember that God called Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees. God called Lot to leave Sodom behind. God called Noah to get into the ark and leave the sinful culture behind. God called Rahab to leave Jericho behind, to reject it, to turn their back from it, and to entirely separate altogether. These were all difficult, but it, but because it meant they had to separate from and leave behind those things that brought them great security. 
Now, when you first get saved, you are far more familiar with darkness than you are with light because you've been living in darkness. Leave the darkness behind anyway. Uh, When you first get saved, you are far more familiar with Satan's earthly system than God's heavenly system. Leave Satan's system behind anyway. When you first get saved, you are far more familiar with lost people than you are with saved people. And I'm not saying that you should cease to be friendly, but I am saying you should cease to be friends. Leave the lost people behind anyway. When you first get saved, you are far more familiar with a secular, idolatrous lifestyle, a covetous lifestyle, than you are with the concept of being God's temple. I'm here to say God has called you to leave the covetous, idolatrous lifestyle behind anyway. Many of those who are saved never grow in the Lord the way they should because they are not willing to be made anew in Christ. Letter A, we stick with what's familiar. Letter B, notice, we satisfy the flesh. We satisfy the flesh. Look with me, uh, if you will, at Romans chapter number 7. And let's read from verse 14 down through verse 20. The Bible says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Under sin, rather. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do... That which I would not, I consent under the law that it is good. Now then, look here. uh, It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil uh, which I would not, that I do. For if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now that's wordy. And uh, if you, you don't read over it several times, you might struggle to understand what it means. But let me just uh, speak to you in plain English here. What Paul is saying is, I have a battle going on inside of me. And the battle is this, my flesh wants to do certain things and uh, uh, the saved side of me wants to do another set of things and these two things are at war with each other, they're at conflict with each other. I want to do right, but I end up doing wrong. And I don't want to do wrong, but I end up doing it anyway. And Paul says that there is this war going on inside of me of right and wrong and, uh, uh, and I know in my head what's right and I know in my head what's wrong and with everything inside of me. I want to do what's right and stay away from what's wrong, but I'm frustrated because I end up doing the wrong and staying away from the right. This is frustrating. Now, I will tell you that the reason why most Christians don't end up separating from uh, that which is worldly is because their flesh does not want to separate from that which is worldly. There is a culture There is a culture in our world that Satan has created and he has made sloppy sin look like it's fun and cool. It's fun and enjoyable. And listen, we're told in Scripture that there is pleasure in sin for a season. There is no question that it is fun to do wrong. But my friend, God has not called you to live in that that culture. Um. I'm talking about parents that listen to their kid cuss and they laugh at it and think it's cute. 
I'm talking about a dad who's now been saved for a year, two years, three years, four years, ten years, and is making excuses over his poor language. I'm talking about people who are still drinking and have a drunkenness problem. Boy, God has called you to come separate, to walk away. I am thankful that I was raised in a home where I was sheltered from much of this. People make fun of children who are sheltered. And, and I preached a sermon last year during Family Month about uh, the, the dangers of over and under sheltering your children. You can take it to an extreme one way or the other. And you can over shelter a child, you can under shelter a child. But I'm thankful that I was raised in a home where I believe I was sheltered uh, in a way that was healthy. Listen, Christian, you ought not care about what songs are at the top of the, of the, of the, of the secular music artists' charts. Can I tell you what most secular music does? It glorifies three things. It glorifies sexuality, sin, and self. Well, that's not what we're called to, Christian. We're called to listen to music that praises the Lord. Ephesians 5.18 tells us that we're to be filled with the Spirit by speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, or singing to ourselves psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, speaking, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And we're to sing and speak the words. And there is a music that pleases the Lord. There is a music that doesn't please the Lord. There is a music that pleases the, pleases the flesh. There is a music that uh, rather amplifies the spirit within us. And we need to choose habits that are separate from the world, that are different from the world, that do not satisfy the flesh. And we need to establish that culture in our home. I, um, I said this last year during Family Month as well. I'll plug it again right here. As mom and dad, you are to expose your children to sin, but you are not to entertain your children with sin. You understand the difference? You expose them to sin. Your children should learn about what sin is, but they should learn what it is from you. They should see the negative impact that sin can have in a life. They should not be entertained by it. I used this illustration a year ago, and I talked about how that on a Saturday morning as a 9- and 10-year-old boy, I'd get in the car with my dad, and we would head to the slums, we would head to the projects, and we would walk into a home where a man and woman were living together, and uh, there was uh, beer bottles all over the porch, and there was the smell of marijuana uh, all over the place, and uh, uh, there was uh, there, there were uh, there was bad words being flung around left and right. There were curse words uh, being heard uh, there was rap music being played, and I learned the song, Hoop, There It Is, and Who Let the Dogs Out uh, in these neighborhoods as a little boy. And uh, here I am, a cleaned-up Christian kid being raised in a, a pastor's home. And I knew what every cuss word in the book was by the time I was a 9- or 10-year-old boy. Not because I learned from it on the TV, but because I learned from it looking at the squalor and the pain and the hurt in the slums and in the projects where this was prevalent. We would go home in the evening and we would turn on the TV and someone would take God's name in vain or someone would use a cuss word and my dad would immediately change the channel or turn it off. What was the difference between Saturday morning where I'm hearing someone uh, use a word that's filthy and my father not stopping me from hearing it and Saturday evening where my father's changing the channel? The difference was on Saturday morning he was allowing me to be exposed to sin but on Saturday evening he was not going to allow me to be entertained by sin. My friend, we are not to walk 
in a way that satisfies the flesh. We are to create a culture in our home where sin is not popular, where sin is not cool, where sin is not tolerated, but rather, thus saith the Lord, and we say, yes, sir, we're going to do everything we can to protect that. I'm talking about husbands and wives that send their children to bed and watch filth on TV. Listen, if the programming you're watching is filled with womanizing, if the program you're watching slings God's name around as though it's vain and nothing, if the programming you're watching uh, uh, makes fun and is filled with sexual innuendos and uh, 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 filled with things that are filthy and filled with the music that doesn't please the Lord, then my friend, you are allowing your inner part to rot and you are living in Sodom, not walking like Abraham and being separate. We must be careful to be separate. It's complicated. It's complicated. Why? Because the flesh wants to do wrong. We stick with what's familiar. Letter B. We satisfy the flesh. Letter C. Notice we seek to fit in. We seek to fit in. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says this. It says, And be not conformed to this world. Um, uh, shortly after I was married, we needed some money. And so I, I hooked up with a friend of mine who uh, worked uh, for uh, and did some construction work and he gave us the job of pouring a concrete sidewalk for somebody. And so we went out and we laid out the metal mat. Uh, we, we, we made made sure the ground was level and we uh, made a metal mesh. And I believe there was some rebarb involved. And in came the concrete truck. And boy, this was backbreaking work and uh, getting it all prepped and ready. And, and I remember the, the, uh, the mold had already been set. When the concrete was poured, we had to quickly push it out and level it out. And you know what that concrete did? It conformed to the mold that we had pre-made. Can I tell you that uh, we're commanded not to conform to the mold of this world. We're told not to seek to fit in. Go back with me to 1 Corinthians 6, where we began this morning. Look with me at verse number 9. The Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Hey, they're going to a completely different location eternally than you are. Those that are unrighteous are on their way to hell. Those that are righteous or righteous in God's eyes are on their way to heaven. You're heading in polar opposite directions. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor uh, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor, uh, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't mean that if you've committed these sins, you can't go to heaven. It means if these sins are still laid on your record with God in heaven because you've not yet been saved, then these folks are on their way to hell. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. Such were some of you, but ye are washed. Ye, but ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Hey, there's no reason to try to fit in with their filth. There's no reason to try to uh, uh, feel like you belong to a group of people that are heading in the wrong direction. There's no reason for you to try to compare with and act like and know what it is to be one of them. God has called you to be holy. God has called you to be set apart. God has set you on a path of righteousness and He's calling you to walk down that path. He's calling you not to fit in with the world, but to fit in with the Lord. School had uh, dismissed for the day. And a couple of teenage sisters had slipped into their father's office at the governor's mansion. This was during a time when bobbed hair 
was becoming very fashionable for the young ladies. The southern governor did not want his girls to have bobbed hair. So on this particular day, they were both pleading with him for permission. And uh, as a mom and dad, we've all been there where our children are begging us for something that we don't want them to have or something we don't want them to do. We've all been there where our children are pleading with us. They're, they're, they're little lawyers and they're making their case. One of them came out with that often used remark. You all know what that often used remark is, right? But dad, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is doing it. How many of you parents have heard that one before? The governor asked, whose daughters are you? After hearing them acknowledge that they were his daughters, he said, sure, you are the daughters of the governor. You do not follow the styles. You set the styles. You do not follow the styles. You set the styles. My friend, you are a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You do not follow the worldly trends. Rather, you set the trend for the world. You do not follow the trend of the world. You set the trend for the world. And you allow the world to see that you are different, that your family is different. You, we seek to fit in. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, you have no idea what that looks like practically. And I would say, you just don't know. We, um, we uh, went to Peru as a family last May. It had been about a year ago we were there. I guess, I guess it was right out a year ago. And after preaching for our missionary brother Raider, we traveled to uh, my wife's hometown. Much of my wife's family is, um, is um, either not saved or, uh, or, or just they've not grown very much. And you have to understand the Latin world. Those of you that are Latin uh, or Hispanic that are watching in on this, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but birthday parties, even for children, are very, very sinful. Very sinful. This is common in much of the Latin world. Uh, many of you may know about the, the halftime show that uh, was on during uh, this year's uh, Super Bowl. And I believe Jennifer Lopez and Shakira put on a show that was really sensual and sinful. I did not see it. Uh, I don't watch the halftime shows, but uh, many Americans were just disgusted uh, at how sinful it was. You have to understand that in the Latin world, at a birthday party, what Shakira and J-Lo did on that platform, uh, there are music videos galore that are played at just about every child's birthday party uh, within the Latin world. And uh, so, um, uh, and I was oblivious to this. Here I am, I've been married to my wife all these years, and, you know, obviously we don't do it that way because we're saved and we're trying to live separated. And so we get invited to one of uh, Angela's um, extended family's children's birthday party. So we show up at the birthday party, and there we are, uh, uh, looking just to have birthday cake and maybe do a piñata because that's part of the Hispanic culture as well. And we walk in, and they turn on the music videos, and you have women that are half-naked shaking their bodies and gyrating to music in a way that I felt so out of place. You know, I had a choice there. Were we going to fit in and just act like everything was okay? Were we just going to accept it as that was the way it was and allow my, my at that time, 10-year-old son or 9-year-old son, 10-year-old son, I guess, to allow this filthiness and this sin to be flaunted in front of his eyes? 
for the sake of fitting in and just accepting how it was? Or was I going to take a stand? Can I tell you how uncomfortable I was? Can I tell you that I wanted to fit in with my wife's family? Now, not her immediate family, her extended family. Can I tell you that I found it very hard to take a stand for what was right in that situation? I pulled my children outside and I said, stay away from the TV. I don't care uh, what they're doing in the living room. If that's on the TV, then you can come stay with me. We'll find somewhere else to be, somewhere else to go. Boy, um, the music was loud and, and playing through the whole house. And we had gotten a ride there, so it wasn't like we could just get in a car and leave. And so um, uh, while my children remained exposed to the music, we did our best to guard them and shield them from what was on that screen. And um, uh, other people began to take notice. And I believe people be, even began to whisper around about how odd the white boy was at the party and how he was handling uh, his family. Can I tell you that sometimes when we separate from the world, it's going to make us unpopular. Sometimes when we decide that we're going to take a stand for righteousness, we're not going to be accepted. But you know what? That night when I put my head on my pillow and I went to sleep, I knew I had done my best to take a stand for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And while her family may not have totally understood, the King of Kings was pleased pleased who is it that we're trying to please where are we trying to fit in we've looked at the call to separation the complications of separation number three lastly notice a culture of separation go back with me to second corinthians chapter six and look at verse 18 it says there and will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters saith the lord almighty notice letter a the purpose the purpose We separate from the world's lifestyle. What's the purpose of separation? Well, we're separating from the world's lifestyle, from the world's influence, from the world's cultural trends. We're separating from the world's morals and values. We're separating from the world's political correctness. But why? Why are we separating from the world? We are because the world is at war with God. James chapter 4 verse 4 we're reminded the Bible says ye adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world will be the enemy of God. Now we could preach this verse many different ways and I want to draw something out of here I normally don't draw out and that which I want to draw out is that the world is enemy to God. Uh, you have conflicting ideas, you have a conflicting belief system and you have what the world is pushing and you have what God is pushing. You have a worldview that is secular and sinful. You have a worldview that's righteous and holy. And these two things clash. And when we choose to call ourselves Christians, but then we choose to uh, embrace the world's uh, uh, view and world's philosophies, boy, God sits here and says, pick sides. Which one do you want? Do you want to be a Christian or do you want to live like the world? We separate. We separate, but why? So that we can look down our long, pharisaical noses at the world and act like we're better than them? No. Uh Uh-uh. We separate from the world so that we can be a shining light to the world about what it means to please God. You see, sin cuts down, sin hurts, sin destroys. And when people see that we're walking in the light 
We're being children of light. Once sin has cut them low, boy, they come to us and say, how can I have what you have? You see, those that made fun of you and belittled your faith, boy, once life has really hurt them and their sinful choices have hurt them, oftentimes they come crawling to you and say, you're different. Your marriage is happier. Your children are, boy, they're better behaved. They love the Lord. Your faith is not perfect, but it's genuine and it's real. How can we have what you have? We don't separate from the world so we can act like we're better than the world. We separate from the world so that we can be a shining light to help the world when they come to a realization that they need that help. We separate from the world so that we can have a more pure walk with our God. Letter B, notice the practical. The practical. Practically, what does this look like at home? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Be, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How is it that sin and worldly living reaches its tentacles of influence into our home? It does it through bad friends. It does it through poor choices with dating relationships. It does it through the Internet. It reaches into our home and influences us through the television screen. It does so through secular books written by lost authors. Let me add this one here because I believe it's prevalent right now. It does so through uh, cable news talk shows uh, with cable news talk hosts that are lost. And uh, they influence us and they control a lot of our thinking. Uh, and the Bible again tells us we're not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We're not to stand in the way of sinners. We're not to sit in the seat of the scornful. The question is not only from what are we separating, but also to what or whom are we separating. We're to replace our bad friends with good friends. We're to uh, uh, place, uh, uh, I would encourage you to place your young adult children in an atmosphere that will give them a great opportunity to marry the right type of people. We're to replace bad internet habits with good ones. We're to replace sinful TV with family devotions. We're to place, replace secular books with good Christian books written by Christian authors. Most importantly, the Bible ought to be at the top of that list. What does it look like practically to be separated? Well, everything about us is different. Let her see and lastly notice the prize. The prize. We've looked at the purpose, the practical, and now the prize. Look with me back at 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18. The Bible says there, And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The prize for the Christian family that walks separated from this world is total acceptance with God. Total acceptance with God. Now, um, why is that important? I would just ask you this question, who made you? God did. God made you to walk with you and you to walk with Him. And when I remove those things out of my life that hinder that relationship, those sinful things from the world, I separate from them and I separate to the Lord. And I'm leading my marriage that way. I'm leading my children that way. I'm never going to totally arrive until I get to heaven. My marriage won't arrive until 
we get to heaven, we won't be married anymore. I don't believe in heaven, but we won't. My wife and I both won't have it all figured out till we get to heaven. My children won't have it all figured out till we get to heaven. But boy, the closer to that mark we get, the more acceptance of God I feel. It isn't that God loves me more or less. It's that God accepts my lifestyle that much more. Why? Because I'm making every effort to be holy as he is holy. God looks down and he smiles on that. You know, mom and dad, the best thing you can do for your children is model holiness in your own life. You need to instruct them. You even need to enforce it on some level. But most important is that you need to model it. You need to show them what's right. Boy, I'd be scared to death for me to tell my children it's wrong to take God's name in vain, and it's wrong for them to watch TV programming that take God's name in vain, for them only to get out of bed after I've sent them to bed and them to hide around the corner from where I'm watching TV and them catch me watching program where God's name is taken in vain and I don't have the same standard for me that I have for them. I would hate for me to tell them it's wrong to smoke and them catch a cigarette butt between my fingers. I would hate for me to tell them uh, that it's wrong to listen to a particular type of music only for them to catch me listening to that type of music. It's one thing for us to tell them. It's a whole other thing for us to model that in front of them. Your children need to catch you reading your Bible and praying. Your children need to catch you walking with the Lord. Your children need to catch you being light and not darkness. Being a believer and not walking as though you're an unbeliever. Let's model it to our children. Husbands, let's model it to our wives. I finish with this. Just one letter of the alphabet makes all the difference between us now, said a recently converted young woman to an unsafe friend who could not understand the great change that had come over her. She said, you love the world, and I love the Word. You love the world, and I love the Word. Which one is it, Christian? Which one is true of the model of your home? Do you love the world, or do you love the Word? Are you constructing a home that is separate? Lord, we ask this morning that you would take these truths and you would impress them to our hearts where moms and dads, husbands and wives need to get on their knees and confess some sin, confess some behaviors that are worldly wrong. Where moms and dads need to get on their knees and confess that they have allowed a culture in their home that isn't separate. We're called to separate, we're not called to judge. We're called to live different, not look down. We're called to walk worthy of our calling. Lord, giving up some of these things is a battle. It takes time. We don't succeed the first time we try. But Lord, that effort that we take to defeat the flesh matters. That effort to submit to your Spirit's leading matters. And God, I'm concerned for many of our children in this church. They're being raised potentially in some homes where mom and dad look one way on Sunday but behave a totally different way on Monday. Lord, oftentimes it's these children that run from church when they turn 18 because they see that their parents' faith is shallow. Lord, help us to have homes that look down upon sin Homes that do not glorify sin, but despise it, condemn it. 
Help us, Lord, to walk worthy of the calling of the title of Christian. If there's one, Lord, that's been watching in this morning that has not even made the decision to become a Christian, help them today to put their faith and trust in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.